Welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We left off talking about a man named Barnabas, and you know, one of the most influential people in the first century church, a man who encouraged so many. I mean, who did, who did this man encourage? Well, he encouraged all the disciples. They're the one that gave him the nickname Barnabas, uh, the, the son of encouragement. He also encouraged John Mark and, and Luke. The, Luke's the one that wrote this book. And the Apostle Paul, who, you know, every person who, who wrote in the New Testament, this man has encouraged. So this guy had major influence on the beginning of the New Testament church, what we call the New Testament church. Now, some of you have the same gift as, as this guy Barnabas, the gift of encouragement. And, uh, and you, you know, sometimes we don't realize those that have that gift, you're also some of the most influential people to those that are around you. You know, there's people who have stepped up in different ministries in church who, who you know, may have a, a spiritual gifting of, of one sort or another, but, but they're kind of timid or they've never, never really done something before and they've tried to lead and you're the person that comes along and says, dude, come on, you're almost there, keep going. Keep teaching. Keep working with those kids. Keep, keep helping out in that ministry. You're doing great. And those are the type of encouragement, you know, items that we need. That's, that's a Barnabas uh, type of personality. Some of you are married to a person who is, uh, who is an encouragement. There are times, uh, you know, when, I, when personally, you know, I just want to give up on something. I get to the point where I'm just like, it's just not worth it anymore. I'm just tired of that. It's just not working. It's not worth it. And my wife comes along and says, yes, it is worth it. Keep going there. That, that encouragement goes so far. And when we get a steady diet of encouragement, imagine what we can do for God. Imagine what we can do in this life when we get a steady, steady diet of encouragement. Now, from time to time, if you're a Barnabas-type personality, you also run dry. So we never want to forget those who, who encourage that they also need that encouragement. And I don't want to really re-preach last week's sermon. So if you need more of that, go get the disc on that. It's in the back. But, but this gift of encouragement is a really special gift. Now, another gift that we kind of talked about toward the end of last week was one of giving. And that is also a spiritual gift. And as we talked about last week, and we have some, some guests here, and I, I just want to mention that the times that we talk about giving are the times that the Bible talks about giving. So I don't want somebody to, to walk away thinking, man, that's all they talk about is giving. I've been here one week or two weeks, and man, they just been nailing it. No, we, we don't do that all the time. But this gift of, of giving is also a spiritual gift. To give... Uh, Above and beyond the tithe sometimes, or, or just, to, just to give as, as the Lord leads and not as man leads, because man can manipulate things. Uh, you know, people just kind of manipulate things, but, but when the Lord lays something on your heart to give, that's a spiritual gift, especially when you respond to it. And we see the needs of the church like Barnabas saw, and we left off last week in, in chapter 4, verse uh, 37, and it said that Barnabas basically sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So we saw a need, 
or he saw a need. Instead of pointing it out and, you know, that need to everyone and, and, you know, so many of us, we're so good at pointing out needs. Oh man, this needs to be done, this needs to be done. Man, we need to write a note for Alan because that's, this, this really needs to be done. But we have a, a guy here who actually sees a need, he recognizes it and he solves it. However, as he laid it at the apostles' feet, he probably got some recognition. People are like, hey, what did he do? Did you hear what Barnabas did? He sold that, that property or the, whatever, whatever he sold. He sold that and he, he laid it at their feet. and Oh man, that, that, that was really cool. And I'm sure Ananias and Sapphira, no doubt, witnessed what Barnabas did. And we're going to talk about them today. They probably thought the attention was really cool. And, you know, he's kind of looking really spiritual about right now. Well, the difference between Ananias and Sapphira versus Barnabas was, in fact, Barnabas really was spiritual because he was responding to the Lord. He wasn't just pretending to be something. Well, they look at the attention he's getting and, and you know, well, let's look what happens. We see Barnabas as a positive role model, and, you know, especially when it comes to giving in the New Testament. Now we're going to be given a kind of a negative role model in the lives of Ananias and Sapphira. It says here in verse 5, now, I mean chapter 5, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest of it and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled you, uh, so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong uh, to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think, what made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to man, but to God. So we see in Barnabas a, a really positive example, but Ananias and Sapphira decided to sell something like Barnabas did. And they're going to bring the proceeds and put it at the apostles' feet. But what they did, instead of bringing it all, they kept some of it for themselves. They, they, they kept some of it back, but, but they led everyone to believe that, hey, I'm giving all of this. Look at how good I am. I'm just as good as Barnabas. I should get the same accolades. I should get the same pats on the back. I should get the, the same you know, knowing nods of, good job there, Ananias and Sapphira. That's what I should, should bring, you know, that they, 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 they presented themselves as bringing the full amount. Now, Peter has been given a knowledge of this by, by the Holy Spirit. But I don't think he has any idea what is about to happen next. He was given a, a word of knowledge. And do you know what that is? It, it's a spiritual gift. It's a, a spiritual gift where supernaturally you just know something. When there was no way that you should have known. This is not like, uh, you know, this is beyond intuition. Or, uh, you know, this is not, well, I knew something was up. You know, I really thought that she was pregnant. It's beyond that kind of stuff. This is not one plus one equals two, so I figured it out first before everybody else. Peter, out of the blue, instead of congratulating Ananias and Sapphira, he rebukes them out of this word of knowledge. Now, the difference from the spiritual gift of the word of knowledge, uh, 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 let me rephrase this. This is different than the spiritual gift of, uh, uh, like, the word of wisdom. This is where you take all the facts in, and you process them in your brain, and you go, hey, this is what we ought to do. 
That's making, you know, that, that's being wise. That's taking in all the facts. That's, that's, you know, processing. That's doing stuff that you've learned since you were a little kid. And, and some people are, have more wisdom than others. And, and that's the gift of wisdom. But the word of knowledge is where all of a sudden you just know something. And it's fascinating that, that the other people just can't figure out how you know this. Now, young people, I want you to understand something. Your parents always have this gift. Okay, not really. But most of the time, it's amazing how they figure out stuff. My mom knew stuff that I did, and I had no clue. Now, how I know that she didn't have the spiritual gift all the time is because we started telling stories when we were at home, and she started going, stop telling me the stories. I didn't want to know about this stuff. But even though Peter has this word of knowledge, I don't think he knew what was going to happen next. But he tells him, you have lied to us and the Holy Spirit. And in verse 5, it goes on, it says, When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And a great fear seized all who had heard what had happened. I bet it did. Then a young man came forward, wrapped his, up his body, and carried him out and buried him. Now think about this. When they woke up that morning, this was not the signs and wonders that they thought was going to happen that day. Because, I mean, signs and wonders were, were happening all the time here. This was spectacular, but not in a positive way. The first time I remember hearing this story was, was during Children's Church. And what a lovely story to tell to little children. But I do remember it. The story, you know, went that these people didn't give their all to God. And, you know, so he killed them for it. I mean, that's the gist of it is you just kind of on the surface. And I remember this little old lady, you know, teaching Sunday school, telling us this. Now, she was probably 40 years old, but I was young, and everybody's old at that point. But as this lady told the story, it was right before our offering to missions. I think that was the largest offering to missions second graders ever gave. But now as I study the story, I realize that this really has very little to do with money or giving. It is not about, uh, uh, you know, not about that stuff. It's really about people who hold out on God. It's not about people who didn't give enough in the offering. And that's probably pretty good because since the offering's already gone by, I don't want you to make, you know, make you nervous here. It was a, it's really about people who conspired to lie to God. And the Holy Spirit is making a very strong statement here. Don't lie to me. This is not a heaven or hell issue. I'm sure these guys were followers of Christ. They just made a very, very unwise decision here. They just met him a little sooner than they thought they would. What is happening here is that they are being fairly, uh, firmly disciplined. And the church is being taught here, don't be hypocrites. For four chapters, the enemy has tried to destroy the church from the outside. And what he's going to do now is start a new tact. He's going to turn that and try to destroy the church from the inside. And in chapters 5 and chapter 6, we will see that attack from within. We will see the enemy operate from the inside to, to get to believers to, to, to the point where they are divided and they become hypocrites. So before we move on, let's learn some lessons from their life. Verse 7, it says, about three hours later, the wife came in, not knowing what had happened. You could imagine as she walked into the room, there was murmuring. 
maybe a little tension there. People just kind of talking and, you know, whispering. And she's kind of thinking, well, maybe they're talking about the gift that we gave. Peter asked her, tell me, is the price you and Ananias got, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? Peter is allowing her to tell the truth, but he doesn't tell her what happened. Now, if she gets the answer wrong, yes, she said, that is the price. Now, side note here for parents. This is an excellent example for you when you have the goods on your kids. When you know the answer that they should be giving, but you're giving them a chance to tell the truth. My parents did this. Alan, blah, blah, blah. And they're giving me that chance. And I have the choice to either lie or tell the truth. And I learned after a time when they said a statement like that, I better tell the truth. Peter is giving her the chance to tell the truth. Now tell me again. Have you been obeying the rules in a sense is what he's saying? Verse 9, he goes on and says, Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the man who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. These guys probably just walked back in, not knowing what was going on. At the moment she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in and, and finding her there, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all those who heard about these events. So what was this all about? Is this what God's going to start doing all the time? I mean, aren't you glad the Lord doesn't operate like this all the time? Because I think at one point or another, every one of us have tested the Lord in a certain situation where the Lord should have just said, zip, that's it, zip. Lightning bolt, you're dead. Come to heaven. Every one of us have deserved that. Singing today, half-heartedly, all of a sudden, lightning bolt, boom! I bet you everybody would sing a little better. I thank the Lord for His grace and His mercy that covers our hypocrisy. So what is He trying to teach here? And if you're going to take notes, here's the first thing. Don't do things in church that draw attention to yourself. Don't do that. Don't try to draw attention to yourself. Don't try to you know, appear spiritual. Don't do these things. You know, I, hey, I'm this spiritual guy around here. Don't try to do that kind of stuff. This is death to a church. It is an unhealthy process. Don't try to seek a pedestal for yourself or seek a pedestal for someone else. We love to do that, don't we? Oh, well, that, that guy's a spiritual guy, so let's lift him up on a pedestal. He can't make a mistake. And then when he does make a mistake, what does it do? It devastates everybody. No, let's be real. And we're going to talk about being real here in a second. We've got to get our minds wrapped around. Guess what? We're all made of clay. That's it. We're all made of clay. We're all made of the same thing. We are clay. Even if you're anointed, you're just oily mud. We really try to keep those pedestals low. And remember not to put other people up there. The person who led you to the Lord, guess what? They're just a sinner saved by grace. That's it. That's it. A sinner saved by grace. People will always let you down. And the reason is because you have lifted them up. 
So keep people at the same level. It's okay to, to admire and imitate those who are, who are following Christ. I mean, even the Apostle Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. He's not saying, follow me so I can pat myself on the back and say, hey, look at all the line of people behind me following me. No, he's saying, follow me as I follow Christ. He didn't say, worship me or elevate me. So Ananias and Sapphira saw the attention and they thought it was cool. And pride set in because they loved the attention. And we all need attention. We just need the right kind of attention. So we have to ask the question, why? Why do I want others to know? Why do I want others to know that I gave and how much I gave? Yep, I bought that pew. Or I bought that. You know, I grew up in church where we had plaques all over everything. Why? We were building a new sanctuary to earn money for the sanctuary. Here, buy a pew, buy a this, buy a that. And there's plaques all over. In fact, I, I've told this story before, but, you know, one lady uh, always sat in the same spot, a lady and her husband, and as a young, uh, smart aleck kid, uh, we decided to go sit in her spot because every Sunday she was right there. And she, you know, walks up and says, that's my seat. And you go, well, sorry. She goes, no, no, my name is on that seat. Her name was right there on the pew. She gave that pew. That's where she sits. See, the reality is we need to start checking our motivation and not lie about it. So number one, don't draw, thi- you know, don't draw things to, to draw attention to yourself. Don't do things. The second thing I think the Lord is teaching us here is giving is not for show. Don't ever give for show. And don't glorify those who do. Jesus was very clear when he talked to the Pharisees in Matthew 6. He's teaching the Pharisees when, you know, and, and what the Pharisees would do is they would, they would go hire somebody like Louis Armstrong to play before them as they went to the church to give. You know what I'm talking about? They would have the trumpets out there, they would have the singers out there, and it would go all the way there to the church, you know, uh, to, to the synagogue as they would give their money to the Lord. It's like trumpet ourselves. And what did Jesus say? When giving, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That's pretty hard to do, isn't it? But he's saying, don't talk about it. Just do it. If I prompt you to do something like that, then just do it. Whatever it is, whether it's giving you know, monetary, whether it's serving, whatever it is. He is teaching the Pharisees. But really, he's teaching the church because the Pharisees aren't living. Now, Jesus will turn around and tell you to give more generously than you ever have thought about. Because Jesus at times will bless you with the thought that you will turn around and bless other people. Now, I don't mean in our tithing. Yeah, we need more tithes to be able to pay for certain things. But I'm not talking about that. I'm saying, what does the Lord want you to give and where does he want you to give it? Maybe it's here, maybe it's somewhere else. Maybe it's your neighbor that's, that's really in need. Whatever it is, you need to do what the Lord prompts you to do. Because if he's blessed you, he wants you to bless other people. But what takes away that joy is when you start wanting to get notice for that giving. Man, it just kills it. And it will take the, the joy away from others when they figure out that, man, I can't give as much as that person. Look at how much they give. I can't do that. What did Jesus say about that stuff? He said, you know who gives the most? Not the Pharisee that trumpets himself, but the little old lady who has nothing, yet still gives. He's the one that, that, that he, you know, she was the one that, that he held up in high esteem. 
So giving is between us and God and not everybody else. And the best teacher, you know, the best teaching on this says if you're really, you know, if you're really ready to give to the Lord, do it quietly. So number one is that giving is not to draw attention to yourself. And number two is giving is not for show. Now number three is, it's very simple, it's be real. Ananias and Sapphira were, were, were not being real here. This will destroy a church. It's like cancer to the body. Just be real. Don't allow hypocrisy to destroy the church. There are some who say, man, I, I don't want to belong to a church because they're, they're, they're a bunch of hypocrites. And my response to that is, well, come join us. We've got room for one more. You'll fit right in. And then allow Jesus to start changing you from being that hypocrite to a person who's real. We need a body of believers who are real. I would rather see your raw edges than your fine linens. You know, last week, coming back from, from Texas, from the funeral, I mean, I was just, I was, you saw my raw edges. I was emotional. I mean, I, I tell you, I, I'm, I'm still hacked at my family for some of the stuff that went on. Anytime there's a, a death and a funeral, it always brings out kind of those raw edges of the family. And, and I talked a little bit about that. Well, some people are like, oh, man, you, you, no, you don't need to talk about that stuff. Why not? You need to understand that I'm a person just like you're a person. I deal with family issues just like you deal with family issues. We're all in the same boat. That's being real. Because guess what? All that stuff usually comes out in the end. The longer you know a person, the more you start to see who the real personality, you know, what the real personality is, right? So you might as well be real from the beginning and then turn around and say, man, but Jesus is really working on me on this. Now, don't use that as an excuse. Man, I just really went after that person, but, but Jesus is working on me. No, don't use it as an excuse, but allow the Holy Spirit to start changing you. We are a bunch of imperfect, saved sinners who are trying to serve Jesus. Now, this is also your most powerful testimony to your friends. This is how you share your faith. It's not when we act like little perfect Christians. Oh, well, there, you know, that's little Miss Goody Two Shoes over there. No. We share our faith in the tough times and they see how we react to it. Sometimes we're afraid to witness because we're not perfect. And this is exactly how you, you, you witness. You say, I'm not perfect. Therefore, I don't talk down to those who don't know Jesus. I'm not going to act like, like I am so spiritual and you know the only people who do this are those who are really faking it. We need to start getting on the same level as other people and just say, man, can, can you believe it? Jesus saved me, even though I have all these faults, even though I've done this, I've done that, even though I don't like this about myself, Jesus still saved me. And that's what matters. I can make mistakes. Now, as I mature in Christ, I try to make less mistakes. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to make mistakes. It just means that I recognize them, and I try not to do that same mistake again. I allow Jesus to change me a little bit. Sometimes that happens so quick. Other times it takes years, and people are going, Please, Jesus, change that about that person. You know... Character does matter. Don't read the polls where it says character doesn't matter. We have got to be real believers. We have got to, to, to live for the Lord. And when you do that, it becomes a very powerful testimony to those that are around you. 
So it's very important for us to be real. In the life of Ananias and Sapphira says, guess what, guys? Be real. Or the Lord may come and take care of you one way or the other. Jesus' harshest words were for his hypocrites. He said to these Pharisees, Woe to you, teachers in the law, uh, of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean, out, you clean the outside of a cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Let's polish that outside. Oh, on the outside our cards look beautiful. Inside you got trash everywhere, right? That's what he's talking about here. Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you're full of dead man's bones and everything unclean. They used to literally whitewash the tombs. So they'd be all white and gleaming across the hill on the Mount of Olives looking toward uh, the temple. But on the inside, what is it? When you die, I mean, your flesh rots. Your bones turn to dust. That's what happens. The inside is just all terrible. In fact, he goes on and says, You snakes, you blood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? That's what he was talking about when it came to full hypocrites. This is how Jesus felt about the religious people of his day. And we need to hear this from time to time. Are you living for the Lord or have you been faking it? And if you've not been living for the Lord, I want to encourage you to, to repent. Repent. Give it over to the Lord. Start a real relationship with Him. Warts and all. And then really, you'll begin to be changed into His image. See, one of the reasons why our testimony is not that powerful is because people, knew, uh, people really know all the things that we're doing in our lives because they watch us. They talk to us. They hear all the things. And it's usually the things the church people don't know about, right? You go to work, you act one way. You come to church, you act a different way. No, not everybody, but some people are like that. And it's like, no, 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 no. We've got to be the same in both situations. So, the deal, you know, so deal with these things. And then your testimony becomes good and clear. Be real before God, and He will make your testimony a powerful testimony. Now, I think the last thing that God is saying here is that, you know, that just, just because God is gracious doesn't mean He has changed His mind about hypocrisy. Jesus was full of what? Grace and truth. That's why there's not more of us dying in this way. But at the same time, same time we usually have grace for for ourselves and the truth for everyone else, don't we? We give ourselves a pass on this. We give ourselves a pass on that. But others, man, we hold them to that fire. We grade on a curve and we always beat the curve for some reason. But this is past felt. When the pastor talks about God, do I think of others or do I think of myself? When the pastor talks about sin, do I look at my own life or am I thinking of others? When the pastor talks about materialistic, do I ask the question, am I materialistic? When the pastor talks about lying or hating and all these other things, when the enemy tries to water down our lives and mess it up, am I going to be real or not? It's a pass-fell before God. Now, thanks to Jesus, if you've accepted Him into your life, it's a pass. We don't have to earn this. All we have to say is, Lord, 
I really admit my life is totally messed up. What am I going to do, Lord? And he says, repent. And he takes away the sin of our life and he fills us with his spirit. So that we're not a problem to ourselves, our families, and our churches. We become the solution. Well, let's move on. Verse 12, it says, The apostles performed many miracles and signs among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's uh, colonnade. I mean, this is really neat. Luke keeps hammering away at one thing, this one accord. He keeps saying they're all together, and, and the words meet together is the same as, as one accord in the Greek. And this is very public testimony. They're hanging out at other times other than Sundays. And in verse 13, he goes on and says, no one dared uh, join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. You get, you know, f- fear mixed in now. Nonetheless, more and more men and women believed in, in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, the people brought the, the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as they passed by. Crowds also uh, gathered also from all the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and their tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Now, this is a phenomenal time for the church. Not only is it, you know, not only is, well, let me rephrase that. Sometimes I get ahead of my brain, my, gets ahead of my notes, you know. But this is not the only time that we see this in church history. But this is, you know, but what a time this was, you know. Peter is just walking and they're trying to get in Peter's shadow. Just his shadow. I mean, Peter's quite a guy, but... You know, he's used by the Holy Spirit as he continues to, to preach Christ. And this kind of reminds me of a story I told several weeks ago about uh, I had a friend of mine that uh, is a pastor and went to India. And he sat down and he helped translate a lot of letters. And one of the letters was, was by a guy, Indian pastor named Emmanuel Rogers. And, and some of you guys that were here the first couple of weeks might remember the story where, where this woman is walking by. And she just came from the doctor. He didn't know that. But the Spirit prompted her to pray over a glass of water he had and hand it to her and say, drink and you'll be healed. And that's what the woman did. And she was healed. And she went back to the doctors, and the doctor's going, man, I, I don't know why she's healed. So the doctor came down to ask this, this pastor, Emmanuel Rogers, what's going on? What, what was in that water? What a witness that was. But the interesting thing was, the pastor was, I mean, the, the doctor was down there, and he kept coming back day after day to, to listen to this pastor. But the doctor's wife came down with the doctor day after day. Man. She was possessed by something evil. She started showing up at the corner when he preached and would cry out against Jesus. Would cry out against the man that he was preaching for. Would cry out against God. And the Holy Spirit you know, prompted him to speak out against this demon. And when it came out of her, she fell to the ground. She gets up and tells how she was controlled by the Spirit and didn't want to act this way. That's what this pastor wrote in about, and, and my pastor was sitting there writing his notes down going, I, man, I can't even believe this. The scriptures tell us that in the last days we will see more of this. And I don't mean that, you know, you know, the big churches that make a show out of healing and all that kind of stuff. No, I'm talking about out there preaching the word of God and going up against demons and spirits as those come out to, to go against God. It's that spiritual, spiritual warfare that, that Revelations talks about, that the end of Daniel's talks about. That Ezekiel talks about. That stuff will come. 
But these guys were bringing everyone to be healed. Everyone's gathered. And people are bringing the sick from the surrounding communities. Now, what I like about the story is, here is it really showed me that the disciples were predictable. They, they walked the same paths. They went to the same, you know, the same direction. I mean, what's a particular place you always go to, whether it's work or school, whatever? Do you always drive the same way? Most of the time you do, right? Well, the disciples are the same thing. They're walking the same places every time. This predictable path. This is a good thing for a Christian. When we're predictable, when people look at us and go, man, they're solid enough that they're predictable. I know how they're going to react off of this. You know, if you're predictable, people will find you when you're needed. See, one of the problems when it comes to sharing our faith is we fear social rejection, don't we? We don't want to go to somebody and talk about God and be rejected. And the Holy Spirit can help us. You know, we, we fear oftentimes, I don't know what to say. If this person comes to me and, and asks a question about the Bible, I don't know how I'm going to answer, even though I've studied the Scripture, but I don't think it's going to come to my head. I want to say, when, a, when something like this happens, the Lord will put the right thing in your head to say. Trust the Lord on this. But we have to study we have to get into the Word to be able to know what the things are to say, and then the Lord will, <coughs> the Lord will bring it to our mind. We need to trust the, the Holy Spirit to help us. <coughs> Excuse me. So we bring up Jesus in a conversation, and we do it by not preaching. You know, when people walk into the doors, they kind of expect a pastor to stand up and preach, right? I do more teaching than preaching, I think. That's just my personal thing. But you kind of expect that. Now, down at the office, when you're talking to somebody around a water cooler, you don't expect preaching, do you? Then why do churches teach that you need to go out there and preach it, you know, preach it to them? No. You need to share your life and say, man, I messed up here, I messed up there, and look what the Lord has done. He has saved me. Look at how I used to be, and look how my life is now. That, that, that was terrible. And look what the Lord has, has or look where the Lord has brought me now. You don't have to know the, the, you know the Scripture reference to share Jesus. What you need to do is start sharing your life. It's not about a speech. What is your story? That's what you need to share. You know, I think the other fear is social rejection, you know, versus not knowing what to say. I have to work with these people. Or maybe it's Man, I have to live with these people. Or I have to go to school with these people. And I want to be liked and not rejected. Guess what? Sometimes reality is you will be rejected. But what you're doing is laying a foundation or a path of faith. And sometimes you'll walk by on that predictable path and your shadow will hit them. And they will know where to come for help. Are you following what I'm saying? These bodies, these people who, who were, were crippled, these people who were, were needing to be healed, were laid out on a path that Peter, Peter would walk by and his shadow would fall on them and the Holy Spirit would heal them. Now, don't we wish it was that easy? Oh, let me walk by. It'll just take care of that issue. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. 
Are we willing to be socially rejected for the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know, really that's all this, you know, the persecution we face here in America. You know, sometimes it, we'll be called idiots or foolish or the dreaded white or, you know, right-wing evangelicals. But I tell you, we are followers of Jesus Christ. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. Therefore, everyone who knows this should know that about us. If we are truly following Jesus, we will be different than this world. We'll be people of character in a world that says that character doesn't matter. What a lie this world really is. They will start to search for you and they will find you on that predictable path, the path of following Jesus in humility and also the power of God. That's what the people of Acts are experiencing, the humility coupled with the power of God. Now, verse 17, it goes on and says, Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the, uh, the apostles and put them in the public jail. They're very angry about you know with these guys because they disobeyed the rules. What did they tell them? You remember last week that they were here, they basically told them, hey, stop preaching in that name. Well, they didn't stop. So they're very angry at these guys. Their ego is, is taking a hit because they were not obeyed. They're all upset that all these people are coming, but they're not coming to hear the Sadducees or the Pharisees, but to those preaching the name of Jesus and His salvation. Verse 19, it says, But during the, the night an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Now, isn't this great? You have to love this story. Last time, the, the angels didn't open the doors at all. They let them stay there all night. So they can't say, well, every time we get in trouble, the angels are going to come. No, last time they didn't come. This time they did come. Verse 20 says, go, stand in the temple courts, the angels say, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. Can you imagine how excited they are? I mean, they're just totally, just, just totally pumped. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jails, the officers did not find them. So they went back and reported, We have found the, the jail securely locked, uh, securely locked. And Barney Fife was standing in front of the door with a you know, bullet in his pocket, with the guards standing at the doors. But when they opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. In other words, they're fearing for their own lives. They were absolutely dumbfounded. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. Can you imagine how angry these guys are at this point? And I think this shows God's incredible sense of humor. God totally has a sense of humor, and, and this is kind of a fun thing. Because you, do you remember what we talked about, the Sadducees not believing in? You can always remember it, because they were sad, you see, and I always get a laugh out of it, I know. The Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection, or they didn't believe in angels. They thought this is life was it, and it's over with. But what just happened? Angels! 
So now their, their belief system is totally being shattered until they become hypocritical again. At that point, verse 26, the captain went with the officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared the people would stone them. Now, disciples kind of have a bit of a power position now, yet they totally don't use it. Verse 27, it says, Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Now, as I said this week and, and really thought about this question, I realized something. What would be the first question that would come out of your mouth if you were the high priest? I mean, it's a totally obvious question. How did you get out of jail, guys? Who helped you? Tell us, how did you do this? But since they're good lawyers, you never ask a question you already know, or you only ask a question you already know the answer to, and they already know the answer to this one. So they're not asking it, because they don't want the subject of angels to come up, because they don't believe in angels. So let's just ignore that. Because <coughs> everybody's talking about it, yet not here in this meeting. Last time they didn't even ask Jesus how he resurrected from the dead because they don't believe in the resurrection. So they just left it alone. They skipped that part because they don't believe in it. They didn't ask. How do you guys... Heal the lame man. They didn't ask that. They knew the answer by the name of Jesus. All their questions should have begun with what word? How? But instead, what did they say? It says, Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and, and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. These are legal charges here. Here's what they're saying. Number one, We've commanded you not to teach in this name, and you have. Number two, you're filling people with your teaching, which we consider blasphemy. And number three, you're trying to turn everyone against us, but making us guilty of killing this man. And who is this man they're talking about? Jesus. Well, they are guilty of killing this man. They just don't want to admit it. They're forgetting that they're the ones that, who brought Jesus' blood on their heads, not the disciples. Verse 29, it says, Peter and the other disciples replied, We must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you have killed by hanging him on a tree. Basically, they're giving him an answer they didn't ask for. Peter's bringing up the hanging on the tree thing. And this really doesn't mean a lot to us nowadays, but if you go back and study Deuteronomy 21, it says that if you hang a man on a tree, he is cursed by God. So this is a big deal here. Now Saul, who we know as Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. Saul is in this room. He is a student of, of uh, and I'm going to pronounce this name wrong, Gamel, uh, Gamel, uh, I don't know. We'll call him Gabe. Gamaliel or something like that. See, he, this guy was, was the, the chief teacher. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a second, but but you know, you know that Saul is sitting here listening. Because later he quotes, when he becomes Paul and he's full of the Holy Spirit, he quotes him in Galatians 3. He says, Christ redeemed us uh, from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. 
you know that Saul is sitting there listening. He was listening before he became a believer. And this is where he got it from. Don't think that people aren't watching and listening to you. Don't think that people are totally ignoring you. If you say you're a Christian, people are watching you. Don't ever think that your word about Christ is wasted. Now Peter goes on and says in verse 31, God exalted him to his to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things and see and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. In other words, not you guys, you're not obeying him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put him to death or put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored, honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. In other words, hey guys, we need to talk, send them out. Then he addressed them, men of Israel, carefully consider what you intend to do to these men. Now we know a lot about this man from, from Jewish history. He is the most respected man, uh, respected Jewish lead teacher of the day. He is what's called Rabban. You know, we, we get the word rabbi, means teacher. Rabban means like chief teacher, the, the head guy, the master of all the things. He is, you know, the teacher of teachers. And there's only one man living in the Jewish culture at a time that could be called by this name. And he's it. He's respected by everyone. And what happens is that he becomes an unexpected ally of the Christians. Now, we don't think he ever became a follower of Jesus. But what he's doing here is trying to hold the Sanhedrin together because he's starting to see the cracks split in this group of leadership, you know, this leadership group before Israel. The disciples are starting <coughs> to split the leadership with their reason and logic. And if this group fall, you know, falls apart, what happens? Rome steps in and Israel goes away. Verse 36, it goes on and says, Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in this present case, I advise you, Leave these men alone. Let them go. Guys, you're overreacting here. Just leave them alone. For if their purpose or activity is by human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. He has no idea what he's saying here, but it sounds pretty good, doesn't it? His speech persuaded them, verse 40. They called the apostles in and they had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of the suffering and disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from the house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. This is such a beautiful way to end this chapter and to end the study this morning. All this, and they started to rejoicing, and they did not stop. What an incredible thing and fascinating thing for us. Because 
what little persecution we face as Christians here in America. You would think that we would be sharing a lot more. But the reality is, the Lord's probably going to have to bring a lot more persecution to America for us to finally take a stand and say, am I a Christian or am I not, and start sharing it with others. We'll have to really wake up. In the meantime, I want to implore you to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you to a point where you don't need persecution to talk about your Savior. To live for Jesus, to, to have your life on a path for Jesus. To the point where you can't stand the fact that you have a friend who doesn't know Jesus. And that's what it really boils down to. Living our life in a way that when we find somebody who doesn't know Jesus, we don't beat them over the head with the Bible, but we slowly start to talk to them about our lives and how screwed up we were and how Jesus is slowly taking care of us. How Jesus is slowly changing us and molding us into a better person. And not just to be a better person, but to be more like Him. Because He is our Savior. That's what it boils down to. That we can't stand that somebody else doesn't know Jesus. We're not obnoxious about it. We're not rude about it. We're just ourselves. And we tell them what difference. What a difference that Jesus has made in our life. Hmm. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful that you have made a difference in my life. And I pray that you get me to a point where I share more often about you to others that, are, that I'm around when I'm out and about in this, in this town of Tulare. I pray, Lord, that you allow the Holy Spirit to awaken, uh, awaken us, to show us the people that you want to hear about you that you desire to, to bring into your kingdom, that are ripe for the picking, Lord, and we're the pickers. I pray, Lord, that the fruit of our living is a good representation of who you are, that it's sweet, that it's something that, that people look at and they're, they're encouraged by it. I pray, Lord, that we're so predictable as Christians in such a positive way that when the time comes, somebody knows where to, fo- where to find us that our shadow may pass over them and their lives be changed forever. We love you so much, Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine down upon you and encourage you in this world that is so discouraging sometimes. And may you represent him in this world in a way that brings others closer to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.